turn to the book of Joel, chapter 3. We only have two lessons left tonight and then next, the next Wednesday, and then we're finished with Joel. I have enjoyed the study. The Valley of Decision. How many of you have heard a message preached on the Valley of Decision? I bet you it was wrong. Because <laughs> everybody's trying to tell you to make a valley. You've got to make a valley in the valley decision. And there's gonna be, they're going to be making decisions in that valley decision. No. Not at all. And we'll get into that here in a moment. Let's go ahead and begin reading in verse number 13. It says, put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down, for the press is full. The fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon shall be darkened, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. And the heavens and the earth shall shake. But the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. May we pray tonight. Father, help us as we look at these verses, Lord, to be encouraged, Lord, to be informed, to be warned. Lord, that we might be more like thee and that we might bring people to Jesus Christ. Lord, have your way in this service. In his name we pray. Amen. We're going to talk about four things tonight. There's four basic points. One's the harvest. One's the decision. The other is the, the sign. And the other is the roar. <laughs> that sounds cool, don't it? Uh, you say, well, where are you going with this? Who knows? We'll get there. Amen. But first of all, let's talk about the harvest in verse number 13. Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down, for the press is full, the fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. The harvest here is a metaphor. These metaphors that he uses, Israel or Judah would understand what he's talking about. They understood how the people, when they would teach, many times they would give illustrations. Jesus said the birds of the air. Uh, they have no place to, to, to rest. The, the foxes, they have no, no home. Uh, all of these different things. And he, what he's doing is using something to illustrate that greater truth here. And the same thing. He, he's, he's given a command. At this point in chapter 3, he gives the command. He says, put ye in the sickle. It's harvest time. Now, if you would, go ahead and turn. You don't need to, but I'll, I'll go ahead and read it. But in Revelation chapter 14, we'll start reading in verse number 14 so you can see what he's talking about. He lays out this whole picture uh, in more detail, but the same thing that he has said here in the book of Joel. 
in Revelation 14, 14. And I looked and behold a white cloud and upon the cloud one sat like unto the son of man having upon his head the golden crown and in his, in his hand a sharp what? Sickle. And another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, thrust in thy what? Sickle. And reap, for the time is come, it's harvest time, for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the altar which, was, which had power over fire and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle. And gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine, or the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. In Revelation chapter 19 and verse 15, he says, And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword. And with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth out the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. Isaiah adds to this, and he says, Who is this, in Isaiah 63, 1, Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? This is the... This that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. The eye that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel and thy garments like him that treadeth out the what? The winepress, the wine fat. I have trodden the winepress wine press alone. And of the people that there was none with me, for I will tread them in mine anger and trample them in my fury. And their blood shall be sprinkled on my garment and I will stain all my raiment. For the day of vengeance is mine heart. And the year of my redeemed is come. And I looked and there was none to help me and I wondered that there was none to uphold. Nobody's going to help them. It's too late. He said, therefore, mine own arm brought salvation to me and my fury. It upheld me and I will tread down the people in mine anger and make them drunk in my fury. And I will bring down their strength to the earth. What did he say? He said, it's harvest time. Beloved, this, this is not a, our life is not a game. Many times we approach life almost as if it's a game. Well, okay, sirrah, sirrah, whatever will be, will be. Whatever comes, that's, you know, we have no direction, no plan. We have no guidance in our, our life. We're just going to go through life and whatever comes, that's it. No, no, God has a purpose for our life. 
And he wants us to, to work that purpose because one of these days, it's too late. And the harvest will come. The harvest does not take place at the rapture. That's only part of it. We're talking about the entire world, not just a group we call the church. In December of 1861, after visiting the Union Army camp on the Potomac, this lady by the name of Julia Ward Howell, anybody ever heard of her? She awoke in the middle of the night and wrote an entire poem by candlelight before dawn. The Atlantic Money Monthly paid her $5 for that poem. And they published it in 1862. James T. Field of the Atlantic Monthly named the poem The Battle Hymn of the Republic. It is said that President Abraham Lincoln was so moved by the psalm or the song that he wept when he heard it. The inspirational words of this great old Civil War hymn has a certain reference to Joel. I believe she, God was leading her in, in what she wrote. I don't believe she was inspired by God, but she was led, I believe, and remembered the, some of the things that Joel has written here. Listen to it. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He hath loosed the faithful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. I've seen him in the watchfires of a hundred circling camps. They have builded him an altar in the evening dews and damps. I can read his righteous sentence in the dim and flaring lamps. His day is marching on. In the beauty of the lilies, Christ was born across the sea. As he died to make men holy, let us live to make men free. I have read a fiery gospel, writ in burnished rows of steel. As you deal with my condemner, so with you my grace shall deal. Let the hero born of woman crush the serpent with his head or with his heel. Since God is marching on. He has sounded forth the trumpet that shall never sound retreat. He is sifting out the hearts of men before his judgment seat. Oh, be swift, my soul, to answer him. Be jubilant, my feet. Our God is marching on. He is coming like the glory of the morning on the wave. He is wisdom to the mighty. He is honor to the brave. So the world shall be his footstool and the soul of wrong his slave. Our God is marching on. Glory. Glory, hallelujah. And as you 
look at that song. It, it's obvious that it's taken from the thoughts of this when he put in the sickle and the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down for the press is full and the fats overflow for their wickedness is great. What a, what a tremendous, tremendous battle hymn that we have. And it caught on and that was the theme of the armies. The harvest is coming. The harvest is coming. So let's go to the valley of decision. I said you probably heard messages on this and they were probably wrong. I've heard several messages and they always talked about us making decisions. We don't make any decisions in the valley of decision. It's already made. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Again, he's using metaphors here. He's talking about multitudes, emphasizing. Again and again, he's emphasizing the magnitude of the people, the number of people that are going to be in, in, in this, this place. And again, a metaphor that, that remember when we talked about the valley of Jehoshaphat, there is no such thing. There is no such valley, the valley of Jehoshaphat. You can go and find all these other valleys that are mentioned in the, in the Bible and you can find where they're at. But the valley of Jehoshaphat, there is none. He's using a metaphor here, the valley of Jehoshaphat, the meaning of that. Is, is that God, Jehovah, has judged. And that's what the valley of decision is all about. Just like the vat, just like the harvest, like the wine press. He's using this as an illustration to illustrate to Judah that there is coming a harvest. And in that valley of decision, when God, Jehovah God himself, judges the valley of decision. The Greek word decision is harius. It's very, very interesting. Uh, can we have that picture up there, brother? You've probably seen this picture before. Recognize it? it it's where it's on most of our... Uh, judicial offices and things like this. This was the mytholo uh, mythological goddess of justice. She was depicted as a young woman carrying a balance, a scale, and wearing a laurel wreath. She was the daughter of the mythological Greek god Zeus and goddess Themis. She's represented in the constellation Libra, which is named in the Latin by her symbol, scales. And we say that justice is blind. And that's why we, we use this. Why do you think that they used the word, that, the very word for her? Because God's justice is going to be poured out in the valley of decision. Now, Justice is being poured out. Man does not make a decision here. Man has already made his decision. 
God is the only one that makes a decision here. He's the one that makes the decision. He's the one that is judging the world. We call this the judgment of nations as they come before him and he pours out his justice upon the world. Ezekiel verse chapter 30 and verse 3 says, For the day is near. Even the day of the Lord is near, the, a cloudy day. It shall be the time of the heathen. Zephaniah chapter 1 and verse 7 says, Hold thy peace at the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand. For the Lord hath prepared a sacrifice. He hath bid his guests. He's brought them all there. For this judgment. Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 14. He said the great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hasteneth greatly. Even the voice of the day of the Lord. The mighty man shall cry there bitterly. That is it. It's all over. Man has already made his decision. That's why he's there. And God makes his decision passing judgment upon those people. It is too late. It is too late. The sentence of eternal punishment is being passed down in the valley of decision by God. Can, can you imagine... I remember when my wife and I, and, and at that time I was in a wheelchair and they was running me in this wheelchair from one airport terminal to another and, and they got me over here and they said, now somebody going to come pick you up and, and they just left us sit there and I don't know how long we sat there and the plane is about ready to, and we got there and they just closed the gate and the lady said, you're too late. That was just a simple flight. And there was a ball that come up in my stomach, just a sick feeling. And there was nothing I could do about it. When these people are called and brought by God to the valley of decision, it's too late. There's nothing that they can do. Their destiny is sealed to hell. Why are they in this valley? Because, he says in verse 13, their wickedness is great. Ladies and gentlemen, we, we look at wickedness as just kind of a, well, somebody messed up, somebody made a mistake. No, no, wickedness in any form, in any degree, is wicked. And we need to start looking at wickedness. We, we need to start looking at sin as great wickedness. And when that happens and we come face to face with God and we begin to realize that we are going to stand before a holy, righteous God, now, we will not be there in the valley of decision, but we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of that that we have done in the body, whether it be good or bad. 
And he says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. When you see how much God hates sin. He said, we persuade men. We'll get those tracts and we'll pass them out. Not just because preachers said, but because they're going to hell. And, and they're going to be there. If we, don't, if we don't bring them to Christ or get the gospel to them. We have a responsibility. And we have a judgment that we will stand before. It's not this one. This is for those that are in the tribulation, all of the nations, the entire world. I don't care how much money Trump has. I don't care how, how many people that Biden has run the country. I, I don't care what popularity you are. I don't care how many people know your name when you died today of 80-some years old as, as, as known as a pervert. It'll be too late. And we need to get serious about all of this. Why did God give us the book of Joel if he just wrote it to Judah? He gave it to us so that we can know our God, that we can see what God thinks about sin, so that we can see how God deals with sin, so that we can understand what how much and how, how wrathful he is going to be towards sin. And we will look at our judgment in the judgment seat of Christ a whole lot different. We just kind of go through like life is a, kind of a picnic, this Christian picnic, and, and we're just going to have fun. And It's not going to be like that. Life is serious. And there's going to be some harvest. Why are they in that valley? Their wickedness. Revelation 16, 11 says, And they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. How many times have we sat in, in, in these benches or these pews or these chairs or whatever church you've been in, and God spoke through the preaching of the word of God, and pricked your heart. And you was under conviction. And, and God said you need to go forward. And you sat there. Or you stood there. Or you, or you said well I'll take care of it later. And you never did. See we don't see sin like God sees. We don't see how wicked it is before that holy God. We're worried about what other people think. Who cares what other people think? What's God think? And how's God feel about this stuff? And if we truly thought that we were going to stand before a holy, righteous God, it wouldn't make any difference who is around. We're going to do what's right. We're going to get right with God. That's why you know, we don't need revival, a revival meeting. We're, we're just as close to God as, as we want to be. And just having a preacher come in is not going to bring revival. It comes from our own hearts and our own desire to be right with that God. Now, yes, we need to have meetings. And yes, we need to have good preaching. And God will use those things to stir our hearts. 
But you'll notice he says the same thing that our preacher's been saying all along. But instead of getting right, we put it off and put it off and put it off. And we, we gripe about the government but because they, they major on the minors. And, but that's exactly what we do. We'll put something in our life that is really not very important at all. What color the chairs should be. When's the last time you won a soul to Christ? Let's start majoring on the minors or majoring on the majors and forget about the minors. Most things that people bring up are deflections from their own sin. And that's what they're doing. They're cursing God. Because of their pain, because of their affliction. No, it's their wickedness that brought them there. It's their wickedness the reason that that is being poured out. It's not God. God has been merciful all along and he's been pouring out his grace even in the tribulation period. But instead of repenting, they cursed God and would not repent. Only a decision for Christ now will keep you from the fate of those in the valley of decision. We must start making some real serious decisions now. I don't know how many years I got left. I'm getting older and dirt. Some of you all have already started turning into clods. Amen. <laughs> But in Africa, we buried children. We buried teenagers. We buried young mothers, young fathers. You don't have a guarantee tomorrow. And so what we do, we better get serious about it now. And that's why he writes all this down for us, so that we can be prepared. Now, number three, the sign. He's already mentioned it before back in chapter 2 and he mentions it in Revelation. But here in Joel chapter 3 and verse 15 we have the sign which is the sun and the moon shall be darkened and the stars shall withdraw their shining. Matthew 24 verse 29 says immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven. And the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. The same thing that he says in Joel, he says in Matthew. Isaiah 13.10 says, For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light, and the sun shall be darkened in his going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. And I will punish the world for their evil. And the wicked for their iniquity. And I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease. And will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. Politicians can thumb their nose in the face of God all they want to. God's not forgetting it. Because the proud and the haughty is going to be brought low. Nobody is going to escape this harvest. The sign. I'm not looking for the sign. I'm looking for him. 
to see the next things on the calendar. When he calls out and says, come up hither. And the church of God is taken to be with the Lord Jesus Christ as his bride forever. Praise God, that's what we're looking for. But then there's the roar. The roar. I've read several commentators uh, and, and I laugh. Maybe it's because I'm from Africa. But I laugh at them. I mean, they're dumber than a box of rocks. Have you, ever, have you ever seen in, in these TV things when, when the, the lion is he's sneaking up there and he's sneaking up there and he's sneaking up there and, and he's about 50 yards away and the antelope is not looking and what does he do? Does he raise up and go, Roar! That's what they say in these commentaries. The lion never roars before he, while he's getting his prey. He roars after he's got the victory. Now watch what he says here. Verse 16. The Lord also shall roar where? Out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earth shall shake. But the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. He isn't the lamb anymore. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. Jeremiah 25, verse 30 and 31 says, Therefore prophesy thou against them all these words, and say unto them, The Lord shall roar from on high and utter his voice from his holy habitation. He shall mightily roar upon his habitation, and noise shall come even to the ends of the earth. For the Lord hath a controversy with the nations. He will plead with all flesh. He will give them that are wicked to the sword, saith the Lord. He's roaring to his people. He's just come through the valley of decision. The judgment has been passed down. All of the lost that are on the face of God's earth are cast into hell. And as that roaring, that lion standing over his prey, he begins to roar, letting the other lion pack and the others that let them know, I have made my kill. I have the victory. And you can come in and eat and enjoy. The lion doesn't roar before he strikes. He roars in victory when he's killed his prey. He's proclaiming victory from Jerusalem. He's proclaiming hope and refuge and safety and salvation and strength. It's all over. You're safe now. And I am the victor, not Satan. Not the Antichrist and his false prophet. Not all the politicians and all the rich people and all of those that have been mocking me all these years and treating you like dirt and trying to kill you. No, no. He says, I have 
the victory. And now you have hope and you have refuge. And now I'm establishing my kingdom. And we will enter in or they will enter in to the millennial kingdom from that point. He is the hope. Jesus is man's only hope. I like this. Jesus wins. <laughs> A pastor was talking on a Sunday morning about how many of you kind of look to the back of your, your book to see what, uh, you know, what the end is. Uh, I've read the end of this book. We win. Jesus wins. Don't get downtrod. Don't get discouraged in things. Uh, what we're doing is right. And our God is the judge. And he's the one that's going to pass judgment. And he's the one that's going to do what's right. We have hope. We have refuge. We have strength in him. I wonder what we're doing. What it will be worth in eternity. I thought about that after I'd been in the military for eight years. I thought, what in the world? What am I doing? Will this, will, will this last in eternity? And I said, God, here I am. And he took me and he put me all over the world. He's got me here now. What you are doing, some of you have jobs. Are you using that job to affect eternity? Us retirees, are we taking that time that God has given us, the ability to not have to go to some work or something? Are we using that time and the, the resources and, and, and all of that to use it to, to bring glory to God? What are we doing that will last or count in eternity? Will we have any effect on it? Harvest is coming. Decisions are still being made now. Now's the time for us to make the right decisions. The signs, they're going to be fulfilled. God has, God has shown them. He's prophesied them. And just like all the rest of the things that have been fulfilled, that's going to be fulfilled too. And one of them days, we're going to hear the roar. But even before that roar, we're going to hear that shout. The voice of the archangel and the trump of God. When he shouts, and that's when we are raised from the dead or the rapture of the church is taken up. Are we ready for it? It's what we are doing now, counting for eternity now. What are we doing with our life? Are we making an impact? Are we ready to meet him 
if he would come today. We don't have to worry about that down the road. That's for those. That's for the lost. But for us, knowing the terror of the Lord, when he start persuading men while we have time. We need to make right decisions. We need to start taking charge. Christians, so many times we just let things go. We don't stand up. We keep our mouth shut. Of all times in the world, we need to speak up. Not in arrogance, not in foolishness, but we need to stand up. Because all this is coming just shortly down the road. Father, help us. Help us to be ready. Help us to know your heart. Help us to understand how you look at sin. And Lord, all of this, you have taken the time to write it in a book. So that we can know how you feel about all of these things. And so much that you are going to take the entire world in the valley of decision. Judging them, pouring out your wrath and your judgment upon all of mankind. God help us to know that you are a holy righteous God that you love us so much that you died for us on that cross but Father help us to live so that we can set men free Father I don't know what's in each heart in this building tonight but I do pray Father that you would speak to hearts as you've already been doing. And Lord, that decisions would start to be made even now. And Lord, we'd not worry about what anybody else thinks, but we would think about what you would think of our life, our direction, our decisions. And Lord, that we would come to you realizing that we're not as righteous as we want you to think we are. And that we might repent now, make the right decision, putting our trust in you as our Lord and Savior and guide of our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand to your feet just briefly? We'll not have a long.